Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion for October 9th, 2007 from Orlando, Florida. I'm your host, Pete Werner, joined each week by our team of Orlando experts, including Bob Varley, Julie Martin, Corey Martin, Kevin Close, and John Magi. In this week's show, we'll discuss the top news stories on the Diz, including Disney's announcement that it will be opening a new resort in Hawaii. The team will discuss some of the less well-known areas uh, located around Disney property. Kevin Close has his review of Tuto Italia at Epcot. And we'll give away some special Epcot 25th anniversary souvenirs to one lucky listener. And Kevin Close is actually going to do a favor for one listener this week. All that plus Roundtable Rapid Fire and your emails on this week's edition of the Diz Unplug Roundtable. All right, uh, before we get started, we have some housekeeping items to uh, talk about first. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed uh, doing um, a couple of meets in December with some of our listeners. Uh, I think we set the dates at uh, December 6th and December 13th, 13th and uh, we're actively looking at where we're going to hold them. And uh, I know I had a bunch of people uh, email in if they were interested in attending. What uh, we're going to do is we're going to put a, a, a sign-up form on the show notes page. We need to get a head count because we may do something cool. So we, we, we may need to know exactly how many people are, uh, are going to show up. So if, you, if you're going to be in, uh, in town December 6th or December 13th and uh, you want to meet all of us face-to-face without a microphone, um, then go to our podcast main page, podcast.wdwinfo.com, and just go ahead and let us know you're interested. Uh, it's not going to cost anything or anything like that. Just want to... Me to say, say hello to as many of our listeners as we can. So, the, we have some stuff to give away. We have a prize winner to announce. Yeah, from September, you know, our listener email prize winner. Um, her name is Maria Romano. She's from New Orleans, Louisiana. I did send her an email, but we're just uh-huh. waiting on her response. See, they're picking the New Orleans people. I knew you guys were going to say that. We have a system, and how we do it, <laughs> it just happened it's to land on her. random. The system is <laughs> New Jersey, like, no. New Jersey, no. <laughs> Louisiana, yes. Yes. Great system. <laughs> and that's Maria? Yeah, Maria. Oh, congratulations, yeah. Maria. Congratulations. And um, should, we, uh, should we announce the winner of the uh, yes, Epcot, I'll do it. Epcot uh, 25th anniversary yeah. stuff you guys had? His name is Frank Hoffman, and he was randomly selected. He's going to get the 25th anniversary uh, Epcot prize package. There's an, a limited edition LE250 watch in there. Uh, the watch has a, an edition size of 250. It's sold out first thing in the morning. Frank, you're getting one of them, too. Wow. He's Great. getting a limited edition uh, figment plush. You guys are going to give away all the prizes? You're not going to let it be a surprise? Why? Well, he'll probably get it by the time this airs. Oh, okay. I just wasn't sure. It's going to air tomorrow morning. Oh, and then he won't get it by the time it airs. <laughs> well, I, just, I just thought it would be really cool because he's like, I don't really understand what I won. So I just thought it would be really great when he opens the box. He's like, wow. Well, we, have to let, we have to let everybody know yeah. what he wants. He's getting a t-shirt. and he's A getting, limited edition t-shirt. It's limited to 1982. He's getting a map from the from the park that day, and he's getting one of the buttons they gave away when we worked oh. at yeah, we, And we had talked about this, too, on, on last week's show. Yeah. So. And in, in his email, I asked him what shirt size he wanted, and he wasn't quite sure of what he was getting. He wasn't quite sure what he had so wanted. He sent, yeah, he sent two different sizes. That was cute. Yeah. <laughs> if it's this kind of shirt, I need this. <laughs> now, if you want to be included in these drawings where we're going to select prizes, just um, you can sign up for the mailing list. 
And if you signed up for Listener Appreciation Month, then you're already signed up. So you're already registered. There's so. no more password, though, right? There's no more password. They it's don't just have to love spoon anymore? No, no more love spoon. <laughs> <laughs> love spoon. Was that word. the password? It was. <laughs> and it vexed people. <laughs> Can we say that again? Love spoon. <laughs> that was Bob's nickname in high school. See, now, Bob, you saying it, it's just it creepy. It sounds like a really good <laughs> game show name. Welcome to Love Spoon. <laughs> We're a couple spoon. <laughs> There's just one more other housekeeping thing. Uh, somebody on the Diz board was mentioning uh, we needed a mascot, and there was a gentleman last week who wrote to us that he was going to name his dog Diz. Well, before we go looking for a mascot from another source, we need a, we have a mascot right here. There is a puppy who attends every single recording of the and here round, he is now the Roundtable podcast, and that's Pete's dog Max. Max, how how much does Max weigh? Max weighs, as of his last checkup, he was 31 pounds. I described him as a bigger dog. I mean, I, John and I have a small dog, and she weighs 16 pounds. So yeah, I'd say he's a medium-sized a dog. A medium-sized dog, but I also described him as having, having the sweetest brown eyes I think I've ever seen. He is a sweet puppy. Max is a, um, Max is a, a pound puppy. He, he is, I got him from the ASPCA when he was about four months old, and uh, he is part lab and part chow. And someone in this at this table is petting him through the entire show. Oh yeah. <laughs> so just so you know, the Diz Unplugged mascot is Max the dog, and he attends well, every uh, single podcast. Full name. What's his full name, though, Peter? He has a good name. Not appropriate. For oh well, Maxwell. As I'm saying, oh, he's oh, not I just Max. He's you Maxwell. Would do a Maxwell G pets. Oh no, Maxi pets. Oh. No. <laughs> um, but uh, we call him Max. But his name is Maxwell. <laughs> I like his name. Well, you know, it's funny because he knows he knows whenever we're getting ready to uh, to do the show, uh, I'll come into the the studio here and start setting things up and he knows that there are going to be six people here soon that are going to pet him for hours on end and he literally sits and waits by the front door he greets every one of oh, us oh absolutely he well he greets everybody get- whether, he greets everybody whether they're coming in the house or not <laughs> and there he is that's Maxwell he sounds quite ferocious well now that we've mentioned him on the podcast I don't have to worry about editing out his little barking fits anymore <laughs> We'll put a picture of Max up on the show notes page if I can get him to sit still long enough to take a picture. So, All right, let's go ahead and get started with the news. Uh, first story this week, uh, Disney Cru- Cruise Line will now offer onboard airline check-in for select guests, eliminating the need to check in when you get to Orlando International Airport. Those who use the service will have their luggage transferred directly from the ship to the airplane. Boarding passes will be delivered to the stateroom the night before arrival back in port allowing guests to proceed directly to security when they arrive at the airport. Now, there are certain criteria for using the service. It's only available on domestic flights and only through select carriers, AirTran, Alaska Airways, American Airlines, Continental Airlines, Delta, Northwest, or United. Now, uh, Disney World is also doing this now. With the, uh, They have the airline check-in, don't they? Yeah, Disney World, and they've even expanded it. So I'm, I'm surprised that not all the airlines are on there, but they keep adding airlines oh, do they? to it. Yeah, so they keep expanding that program. And what they have is they have desks set up, and you can do a pre-check-in and not worry about it. Great idea. Yeah, I think it's an awesome program. It makes it a little more seamless. Yeah, you don't have to schlep all your bags all over the place. You so know, at the end of your vacation, you know. That's a big, it makes a big difference, especially <laughs> at the end of your vacation. <laughs> Schlepping through the airport with all your bags Even and Even more than that, at the, the end of a cruise, and it's not just Disney Cruise, it's any cruise, is a little less glamorous than yeah. the cruise. Mm-hmm. You're in a big warehouse with your luggage. It's nice to kind of skip that part of it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, uh, that's a great addition to uh, to the services they offer on board the ship. So that was... 
cool to see. Uh, our second story this week, I, I, I bring, I, I'm mentioning this only in the event that anybody out there listening is really this stupid uh, that they would do something like this. A Tampa woman is under arrest on animal cruelty charges after she left her three dogs confined in the sun without food or water for three days while she went to Disney World. Alicia Vischer of Ruskin, Florida, is charged with one count of felony animal cruelty and two counts of improper confinement of animals. Neighbors alerted police after they heard the dogs crying and barking for days on end. By the time the rescuers arrived, one of the dogs was so bad he had to be euthanized. Yeah. The other two dogs were treated by a local veterinarian and have been put up for adoption. For three days? Three days. No food, no water in the sun. She deserves whatever she gets. That's they, horrible. These no. were not left at Disney World. These were left at her house yeah, in Tampa. Yeah, at her house. Correct. Uh. While she went to Disney World for three days. I mean, it's and 90 not, degrees outside. And this is not the first. The reason I, I, I threw it in is because it's not the first story that we've talked about on the show where someone has done that, where they've just left their animals unattended, uncared for, for days while they went on vacation at Disney World. Now, that there are, the, the concept that there are people out there who are stupid enough to do that, that, that just it, it blows my mind. So I doubt any of our listeners fall into that category seriously, but just in the off chance one person might think that's a good idea, it really isn't. You don't deserve to have if you pets can, and you if know you're what? If, if, like if you can afford to go to Disney for three days, you can afford to put your dog in a kennel for three days. And there's kennels right there at Disney. They could bring them with you. Right? Exactly. It was it's just awful. Awful. That's sick. So, all right. And as we discussed on our last show, Disney has confirmed that they will be building a new resort on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. The company has purchased 21 acres of oceanfront property on the western side of the island. This resort will include 800 hotel rooms, including Disney Vacation Club Villas, and is slated to open in 2011. Disney cites the number of requests for Hawaii from DVC owners as a driving reason behind choosing Hawaii for the project. We've been hearing these rumors for months. For months. And, um, you know, it was funny because people were, we heard people talking about Disney's going to build a hotel in Hawaii. We heard people talking about Disney's going to build DVC in Hawaii. And I don't know, some people didn't seem to put one and one together. They were going to do both. It made perfect sense. Well, there's also a great deal of speculation about Disney Cruise Line making Hawaii at least a part-time home. And people have talked about the fact that the port at Honolulu is overcrowded and that they're dredging out uh, a new port. I wouldn't be surprised. So You actually mentioned that last week, Bob, about Hawaii yeah. Yeah. being a port. And I also heard a rumor when I was in Epcot that they're looking at something in Mexico on the western uh, side. Oh, really? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised that they announced something. Well, you know there. what? They've they're, they're going to add two more ships in the next within the next ten years, and they're going to have to. Uh, yeah. I actually have some great DCL rumors for my rapid fire later. Oh, cool! Did you see the artist rendering of the resort they're going to build? Looked, no, I didn't. It looked cool. It does look it really, really cool. look cool. Very lush, very tropical. But I think there's going to be an elaborate pool. From what I saw, yeah. it's going to kind of be like a storm along bay type of pool. What do we think? Uh, what are we thinking? The uh, the, the per night hotel rates are going to go for? <laughs> Hawaii is one of the most expensive destinations out there. I mean, you're talking about. If you're talking about DVC type of accommodations, you're talking about $600 a night, yeah. if not more. You know, In 2011, who knows what they Well, be. they're going to have a hard time billing that as a family destination. You know, They don't have a theme park to fall back on Hawaii because they're, they're already starting with their press release about you know, what a great family destination this is going to be. Price is going to be, I think, more of a consideration 
because they can't say, well, you know, this is all part of the experience you have here in Disney World with all the things we have um, as a justification for the kind of prices they charge, especially at some of the upscale hotels. So now going out to Hawaii, you know, where are you going to find that? You have to find that balance. Most families aren't going to pay $600 a night for a hotel room. And what were you telling me, Kevin? They said that it's not going to be a Disney experience. There's not going to be characters. That the characters would play a lesser role in this particular venue than they would in the ones closer to the theme park. That it's not going to be a Mickey Minnie experience. Right. Probably hmm. Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, they didn't finish that thought. <laughs> Well, it just seems that if you're going to try to get people out there for that family experience, you're going to want to do character meals and all that stuff. Yeah, but they could do things like I, I see them doing the well, luau. See, they and, can't. With, and stuff like that. Yeah, but they have real luau's out there. Yeah, yeah, well, they could do a real luau out there. Well, one of the things I'm hoping is that while they're out there doing this, that they'll pick up some good recipes to bring back to Ohana. Um, <laughs> and some good the, entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> maybe some new entertainment, too. Dude, that was coming. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. Please stop no, writing overall, to me. <laughs> I mean, overall, though, overall, I think that Disney's not going to be able to... I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to try and position the product. I don't think... I think this might be considered just a new product. They might have a new focus. Maybe they're... Tr- I, my idea is that they're getting away from what they already have, and they're offering sort of like they've done with Adventures by Disney. Uh, when you go yeah. on an Adventures by Disney, you don't have that Mickey Minnie experience. You have the cultural experience of where right, you're exactly. going. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to get away from that theme park experience and they're just going to put layer the Disney quality on a Hawaii experience. Right. Which I think Disney is a trustworthy brand name. It's Absolutely. a name that people immediately associate with I feel safe. Yes. So I think what And with do- good reason. Right. And I I'm not negating that. What I'm saying is I think I'm hoping that they're just going to sort of layer that Disney quality onto a Hawaiian experience. I know if it's I It's a good was, way to put it. If I was going to do it and I had a choice between an untried name or the Disney name, I would go with the Disney experience. You oh, know? Of course. So I, it's a good point with the adventures by Disney. I think this hotel could be one of their base hotels for an adventure by Disney in Hawaii. In the future, so they may be looking ahead for that too, and that would be their home base. And then they'd go around and do other stuff on the islands. I'd like to see them focus on weddings and things like that. I mean, Hawaii is a huge wedding destination, honeymoon destination, anything for any sort of couple. So if they want to focus more on that, I think they could really get a lot of people it's over a there. Huge, huge wedding packages yeah. and honeymoon packages that would be awesome. Oh yeah, and well, Hawaii is also. I mean, Hawaii is doing okay without Disney. Yeah, it's not like they've picked some island that no one's ever heard of and they're going to re- develop a resort. I mean, we're no. talking about Hawaii, but well, the, I know. but the development <laughs> of this and the success of this, and I think, you know, I think the odds are pretty much in Disney's favor. This is not only going to be a phenomenal resort; it's going to be a big success for right. them. I didn't. But, I wasn't pointing that at oh, you. I, okay, I was like, well, I understand that. <laughs> but beyond beyond opening this in, in Hawaii, this is the test bed. This is their launching pad for other other destinations. Obviously, yes. The next they're one's going to be Branson. They're not going to sure do this. They're not going to do this in Hawaii and stop there. So, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of product this turns out to be, what kind of price point this product has, and where they're going to expand it to. So, they're also very smart in that they're going to have a built-in revenue stream from DVC. You know the DVC owners are going to go nuts, and all going to want to have points in Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely, no doubt. You can. They could pretty much open a DVC resort anywhere, and it's going to sell extremely well. Right. 
and that's your basic revenue stream. So now you don't have to worry about, can I fill every room? If they could sell Vero Beach and Hilton Head, they can sell anywhere. Mm. Plain and simple. I mean, there's nothing to do in Vero Beach. I mean, it's a beautiful place. And oh, they yeah. sold it. They sold it well. It's a beach It's a beach holiday. But huh? it's in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. So, But uh, I, I think that uh, should be real interesting to see what, uh, what they end up doing with it. And that'll, uh, that'll wrap it up for the news this week, folks. We're going to move on uh, to our rapid-fire segment. Uh, we'll start with Bob. Pete, I have uh, something that was just announced. Uh, they had been testing Segway uh, over at Fort Wilderness, mm-hmm. and they have just announced that they're going to be opening that up as a regular feature over at Fort Wilderness. Uh, the Wilderness Back Trail Adventures, uh, which is a two-hour tour of Fort Wilderness and the campgrounds, which I think is cool. I, yeah, I want to I do was, it. I was planning on going over and doing it, and the date cut off, so I couldn't get over there. But I'm definitely going over and uh, experience that because they have the, the all-terrain Right, segways, yeah. which is really interesting. I will be going over to experience. It sounds like Julie wants to come too. Yeah, yeah maybe we can do a Julie and Bob segment. Julie and Bob, <laughs> yeah. All right, I want to send go uh, to Fort Wilderness. <laughs> somebody, somebody's got to be there with a video. <laughs> Segway cam. Segway. One of us is bound to fall. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm trying to figure out how to get no. the camera mounted to my helmet. Oh uh, my gosh! I'll go. I'll be running behind y'all, <laughs> filming. You could go on a bicycle, following us. We got some. Uh, we got some good video last night over at uh, Halloween Horror Nights of, of Bob. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. Got some good video. Got to get some more, but we got some good video. But, all right, thank you, Bob. Were you done? Uh, I just want to mention that riders must be 16 years old and uh, that they're, like, Julie and Corey took the one over at Epcot. So uh, we'll have some information up on the website. I think we already do. Uh, yeah. And we'll link to that on the show notes page. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much, Mr. Varley. Mrs. Martin, Mrs. Horry Martin. My rapid fire concerns ticket price increasing at Cirque du Soleil. Um, the t- these ticket prices are good uh, from October 1st through December 30th. They only went up by like $2 and some change. But for the front and center, for ages 10 and up, it's one twenty one forty one now. And for ages 3 to 9, it's ninety six ninety two. Uh, category one, ages ten and up, one hundred five forty four. Ages three to nine is eighty four fourteen. Your category two section, ages ten and up, is eighty six twenty seven. Ages three to nine is sixty nine twenty three. And category three, ages ten and up, went up to sixty nine twenty three. And ages three to nine, fifty five thirty eight. Which I mean, it's a great show, but that still sounds so expensive to me. It's in line with a Broadway show or something like that. In my opinion, in the theater that they've built for La Nuba the less expensive seats are better. Yeah. I, those front and center seats. You can't really right on see. Top of that stage. Right. You also, need to be further back to really get the full advantage. To get the full yeah, picture. Say, yeah. well, stuff goes on all around you, so right. being up front doesn't really help. But that's it. All right. Thank you, Julie. Corey. There's a new PhotoPass session at the Grand Floridian Resort. You can schedule a 20-minute one-on-one session with a PhotoPass photographer, and there are two packages. It's forty nine ninety five for a sitting fee only, then there's $124.95 for a sitting fee plus all of the PhotoPass pictures taken by the PhotoPass photographer. Now, these also include all the p- photos taken throughout your stay at, um, at Walt Disney World. Now, you have to book these at least 30 days in advance, and the phone number is 407-824-1700. 
this is the only resort covering this, doing this right now. So that's like a good deal, you know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I have some DCL rumors for my uh, rapid fire, and again, I have to preface this with the fact that they are rumors, but I they're they're pretty strong rumors. Um, I have heard that for 2009, we should all plan on getting a light jacket to take on our cruise with us, because for summer of 2009, the Disney magic will be headed to Alaska. Oh, oh wow! And I have a rumor for 2010. For 2010, they're not going to do another transatlantic crossing. They're going to do a trans-Pacific crossing. And the ship will be in Hong Kong for the summer of 2010, opening up the Asian market. No. No. That's what I've heard. No. No, stop it right now. (laughs) Stop it, you bad man. I also have some information that a lot of the staff... I'm I'm just saying it right now. Hong Kong. I'm, I'm there. They do Hong Kong. I'm there. That's a great. But that's going to be a pricey cruise. And that Trans-Pacific cruise, that's going to be a stop at Hawaii. I can almost guarantee you. They have to stop somewhere, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I also understand that because of the complaints that there are no seven-night sailings in the Caribbean for the summer months because the magic leaves, that a lot of the Wonder uh, cast members are training on the magic to do seven-night cruises, and that for the summer of 2009 and 2010, the Wonder will be alternating three, four, and seven-night cruises throughout the summer. That's, that's smart. That's yeah. very smart, yeah. And this is uh, sort of all gearing up to the first new ship coming out, I believe, in 2011. Yeah. So, again, these are rumors. I have a feeling they're strong rumors. They came from a very strong base, but they're I just exciting. have to preface it with the fact that, like everything I tell you, it's at this point a rumor. Disney has not officially announced this information. You're sleeping with Tom McAlpin, aren't you? I, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't think you'd know who Tom McAlpin was. street. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's good, good stuff. I. That's very good stuff. Yeah, I thought so, too. I've been sitting on this for a couple days. Bob actually begged me the other night, come on, tell me. Oh, it was Mike. Mike was was Alaska and Hong Kong. Your rapid fire was just like the chat stew on E, you know, the soup. So I I actually, (laughs) I've held on to this information. The only person that knew it was John. So Yeah, he wouldn't give anything out yesterday. And this isn't on the boards or anywhere? This information came from a reliable source that asked that told me I could talk about it on this podcast, but they asked that I not just release this information. Now, I've teased people to tell them I had this information. I've teased them on the but, boards. So I'm just saying, but nobody else on the board boards had this no. already? No one else not has. Not that we know of. I mean, no one else. I mean, there's been speculation, and they've bounced all around. Alaska I, has popped up before people have mentioned it, right. but I think that this is the... And also someone just recently posted on the board that other cruise lines are sending their ships to the to Asia. That there are several cruise lines that already have ships either on route or in Hong Kong. But this is the first. Um, I haven't heard anybody mention Disney going to Hong Kong as uh, or, or that what they'll be doing. No, is, that, that would be. Forget about it. That would be. I would be out of my mind. Now, I've sort of extrapolated this. And while I couldn't get any more information, it would be a Panama Canal cruise to Los Angeles. 
and then a Trans-Pacific cruise to Hong Kong, and the ship would be in Hong Kong for the summer. So, uh, so you'd be like on this ship for like four months. Well, I imagine <laughs> they'll sell legs of it. Uh, you could stay as long as you want, as long as you have the cash. But I have a feeling that each trip would be broken up. But you got to figure cruising from Port Canaveral to Los Angeles, and then cruising from Los Angeles to Hong Kong. Well, that's that would be two separate sailings. Right. No, I'm just saying though. Mm. But if you were to do those two things, that would be. And people will do it. I'm yeah. sure they will. There was a lot of people who did the the Panama Canal crossing and then added the first Mexican Riviera cruise onto that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's it's. I that, thought they were exciting rumors. They're very uh, exciting, and I just wonder how long a, a cruise trip it is from Los Angeles to Hong Kong. I don't know. Wonder how many days you're at sea. Mm. Let's research that on the. But a lot of the the, the talk was it was very expensive to fly back from the Mediterranean. I imagine that it's going to. Crazy from a Hong Kong. Higher from Hong oh, Kong. Yeah. Because Hong Kong and um, Tokyo are considered to be some of the most expensive cities in the world. So, mm. yeah. We shall see. But I thought these were good rumors. Very good. Thank you very much, Kevin. Very cool. John. I'm going to piggyback on Kevin's rumors. Uh, he didn't mention two. And um, these are not as strong as his, they're from a different source. But we understand that a Disney executive has let slip the, name of the, the names of the two ships. For 2010-2011. Were, were we right in our guessing? We were very close. It's it's interesting how it's positioned, though. It's going to be the Disney Wishes, ES. We said Wish. And the Disney Dreams. And we said Dream. Oh, yes. So I we were only that. off by three letters. <laughs> Again, this is not as strong as Kevin's rumor, but we understand that a Disney executive had let this slip at a meeting and kind of caught himself and stumbled and said, try to cover it up, so... We're pretty sure that's what the two ships are going to be called. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Great rumors, guys. I'm excited. Those are good names. Yeah. For, yeah. For wishes and dreams. Yeah. We Very came cool. up with those. I know we did. I think it's interesting that they're plural. Isn't yeah. It? Isn't right. It, it is. That they would pick wishes mm-hmm. instead of wish. Well, you know, they just renamed the towers right. out at the uh, Disneyland Hotel. They were oh, yeah. originally, one was the Bonita uh, Tower. Oh, that's right. That's and right. now it's the, um, the Magic, the Wonder, and the Dreams Tower. So we, we actually, didn't we talk about, after we heard that mm-hmm. third name, the Dreams Tower, that we right. thought the ship would be that? So we like that Disney is naming all their stuff after us. I think <laughs> yes. That's really nice of them. The Year of a Million Dreams. Somehow I, somehow I think they were using those things before we came along, but really? we, can, we can delude ourselves. <laughs> he sounds surprised. Really? <laughs> we didn't invent the word dream? <laughs> exactly. And then there will another ship called the Diz. Just another moment in our psychosis. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next segment. Uh, we're going to discuss something that we had been asked in email a few weeks ago uh, about uh, some of the hidden areas around Walt Disney World that you may pass by and notice, but not really sure what some of this stuff is. And we thought that would make, uh, it was a, as I said, that was sent to us as an email, but we thought that would make a great segment for the show. So uh, I, know, I know John has been doing some research on some of these places. What did you come up with? I have... Um we had a, a while ago um, an email from Ashley Hall in Lake Worth, Florida, and Ashley wanted to know about um, what she referred to as Disney's quote-unquote Area 51. Um, there were certain places that she uh, would never hear or speak, would never hear about, but also see on her trips, and they would sort of spark her curiosity. She said, on my most recent trip, I passed by a place called Bonnet Creek Resort and another called the Treehouse Villas. And she just wants to know more about that and sort of more about the other uh, hidden areas of Walt Disney World. Um, Bonnet Creek Resort is actually located adjacent to Walt Disney World property. It's off of 
Uh, what Buena is Vista Drive. Buena, Buena Vista Drive, Buena right. Vista Drive. It's off of Buena Vista Drive. It's across from Old Key West. Correct. And um, the entrance is kind of nondescript. It's got a very... It's very zero escape. Yep. It's it's just low stone walls. Yeah, and a, yeah you just drive by and it almost looks like it's not complete. It's yeah. easy to miss. Yeah. It's got a very southwest look to it. Yeah. And there's an interesting story behind this piece of land. This piece of land is not quite triangular shaped and it's actually juts into Disney's property. Yes. It's uh, bordered on one side by the Caribbean Beach Resort. On the other side, it's actually the ramp that goes up to I-4, and the back side is I-4. So, And it kind of comes into Disney's property, and people are wondering, well, how come Disney didn't buy it? How come Disney didn't buy it? The person who owned the land at the time, at that point when Disney was buying up all the land in the area, sort of caught on to the fact that it was Walt Disney buying the land and raised their prices substantially. Walt Disney wasn't willing to pay that price for that piece of land, so that piece of land went unsold for many, many years. Then when it came on to be sold, I guess Disney then at that point decided they didn't want to spend that money for whatever reason, so it went to this Bonnet Creek Resort sort of development. In there now is uh, two resorts. One is a Fairfield timeshare. It's huge. You, You can actually take a ride back there. There's no gates. There's no... Uh, security guard stopping you from driving back into the resort area. There's a gate. There's a security guard at the resort, at the resort. but you can drive back into the main street. That's also where the uh, Waldorf Astoria is going to be. Right, and you can actually see them starting to build that. It says coming soon, uh, Waldorf Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Take some time, go all the way back there. It's actually pretty neat because you can go all the way back to I four, yeah. and you can see this wide open space, and it's going to be huge. There's going to be. Uh, a 16-hole golf course Is out it, there. 18 holes. 18-hole golf course. No, they're well, only going to build 16. Well, it's Bob's Rules. So <laughs> Bob's, Bob's Rules. rules. Bob's Rules Bob golf course. Aren't they putting a Hilton out there, too? The, well, it's the Hilton slash Waldorf Astoria. It's some sort of partnership that they're doing. Oh, okay. It's going to be the only Waldorf Astoria outside of New York City. Right. It's a 500-room Waldorf along with a 1,000-room Hilton. So it's sort of a combined. Wow. Sort of like they did with the Ritz-Carlton and, and the, the JW, JW Marriott. Marriott. Right. And they're fairly tall buildings that are going to be going up. So they're it's going to have a great view of the fireworks. It's an interesting thing because, again, why did Disney let this property go? Why didn't they buy it themselves? You can see those hotels from the Caribbean Beach now. So now yeah. you've sort of ruined that theming of the Caribbean Beach. It's a very odd. Well, I thought, so, I, again, so, this is a rumor. I, I don't have any confirmation on this. But I had heard at one point that it wasn't so much that Disney didn't want to buy it, but that this guy wouldn't sell it to them, that he was very anti-Disney for some reason and refused to sell it to them. That's possible. That could be So, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know. Again, that's just, that's just rumor. That, well, you always hear stories about people hating their neighbors. Right, right. And, you know, we, have, we heard that, too, out in California with the strawberry fields Yeah. Uh, with Disneyland that the guy refused to sell to them. So, who knows? But in that case, we should recommend everybody go pool hopping at these resorts. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, one thing to note, though, is if you do stay at those resorts, you don't have any of the Disney amenities. They're oh not no, Disney owned and operated. There's hotels. no good neighbor affiliation. Exactly. Uh, and that bus ain't coming to get you. <laughs> nope. Ashley, the Treehouse Villas were uh, one of the original resorts going to be offered to people when Disney World first opened. These are townhouses and they're built around a central core they have a spiral staircase in them where you get from the first to the second floor and they were originally rented to people um if you take the boat ride the saskagoola boat 
Works ride from downtown Disney to Port Orleans and Port Orleans Riverside. I'm sorry, Port Orleans French Quarter and Riverside. You actually pass the tree houses and you can see them. Uh, they were considered part of a golf resort at one time, and what happened is they fell into disrepair. And apparently, they were very, very uh, costly to maintain. What they've done is they've repaired them, and they now use them for. Uh, I have a girlfriend who lived there. Yeah, she was on college her um, advanced internship yeah. college program, and the she college lived there. program. I couldn't think of the word college program. They were actually part of the Disney Institute at one time too. You yes. could have rented those as part of the Disney Institute. We learned something interesting on that boat ride too. Was um, someone had asked how come they just didn't demolish them and put another resort up? And apparently, there's an issue with the uh, ecology of the area. They the, border a wetland, right? And mm. demolishing them would. Um, destroy the, the wetlands and cause too much damage. Right. So uh, we understand that they they very well may be gone one day, but they're using them now for international programs. And and I just want I just want to th- I'm sorry, I just want to throw in that I, I you've got to give Disney credit there. They're very very good about that. They will not mess up ecology stuff and anything yeah. any kind of ecosystem if they're anything at all they will they are really really good. And you would expect a company that size would just like most companies its size would just Run roughshod over its yeah. its uh, its ecology, and it, and they and they don't. So the other thing about these, Ashley, is they're very, very, very dated. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's no doubt that they were built in the early seventies. I'm pretty sure when you approach one, the theme from the Brady Bunch starts to play. <laughs> yeah, well, we they're, stayed in one for thirty days. Hence, we used to play well, a drinking no, we game with the Murphy house. Dead. We stayed in a regular. <laughs> Unit at the Disney Institute. We were not in a treehouse. Oh, I thought that was a tree. Uh, the treehouse, Bob. No, the treehouse is actually up in a tree. Oh. They're, they're, oh. Um, oh. Speaking of the house. ecology, one more little tidbit. As you take the boat ride, the man explained to us someone asked why the water in that river is so dirty. And there's a special type of tree that drops its leaves into those rivers, and tannin comes out of the leaves, which stains the water almost like tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why the water's black as you ride the lake. The lakes near me have that in it, and you see the water ski is going on. So it's not pollution. No. No, and the water's not dirty, and the fish are not affected by it or the waterfowl. It's actually tannin from the leaves of the, I forget what kind of tree it is, but it's almost stained. The water is stained like almost like like, big iced tea. Right, a tea bag, and it's from these leaves that let off the tannin. There's a lot of other really interesting areas of Disney. A lot of these things you won't be able to see unless you have a car and you're willing to get in and sort of drive around for a day. One of my favorite areas is if you are going towards the Contemporary Resort, towards where the buses go into the Magic Kingdom, there's a stoplight there. Continue straight on that road. You're going to go past the back of Space Mountain, and this road is going to go behind Walt Disney World. It's actually the very back end of Walt Disney property, and you'll come out on the other side by the the Grand Floridian Resort. But it's a really cool sort of um, almost a primeval forest. And you can sort of see how this was before Walt built it up. And one of the things back there is where the, the monorails and the Monorail trains go. And the train, right? Yep, that's where you go on your backstage tour yep. for the tra- uh, hmm. backstage you train You get to tour. see where the monorails go to sleep. Exactly. Wow. Yep. And, and then you see all the four trains over there. And there's cast areas back there. There's cast parking for the Magic Kingdom. The Christmas building. The, the, Christmas river, building. the river boats, the ferry boats that go across, that's where they, they bring them up back in that area. Now, the area that I'm, I'm directing you to, the one that sort of goes around from the Contemporary to the Grand Floridian, that 
that's not um, that's still considered on Disney property. So it's still uh, still considered uh, uh, on stage. So it's still sort of groomed and manicured. There's no guardhouse back there except going to the back of the Magic Kingdom. You can't right. go into the back of the Magic Kingdom. However, if you go towards the monorail station and the train station and these back areas, those are not guarded as well, except if you want to try to go into the individual areas. So you can drive back there without a problem. No one will stop you. No one will question you. Just don't go beyond any sort of guard station. Yeah, don't overstep right. any boundaries. Right. We're not suggesting you take any liberties. No, exactly. absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I believe there's a sign as you drive back there that says no pictures and no video because you're in a backstage Technically area. Technically, you're backstage. Right. Exactly. So, But it's cool to see for the Disney geeks and see whether and, fireworks actually and go I, off. I want to kind of reiterate the point about uh, using some common sense when you're in these backstage areas that you are allowed to drive back into that if people start acting foolish and trying to get places they shouldn't go, they are going to block it off, and nobody can go back and check it out. Right. right. So, you know, you, just everybody use some common sense if you're going back right. there. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite areas. If you're coming down past uh, downtown Disney on Buena Vista Drive still, instead of turning right and going out Hotel Plaza Boulevard, if you continue on that road... You actually have to make a left turn now and go past Saratoga Springs and what used to be the Disney Institute. Mm -hmm. If you go a little bit further, you're going to pass the Reedy Creek Fire Department, which is a kind of cool building in and of itself. They have a fire hose, mm -hmm. which is now a fountain. If you go a little bit past that, on the left-hand side, it's a nondescript little road. And there is a sign that says, do not enter. If you make that right turn in there, you're going to ignoring go, the sign. Ignoring the sign, you're going to go into the actual town of Lake Buena Vista. It's probably eight or nine small um, mobile homes, trailer, trailer homes, homes yeah. that have been modified. I mean, some of them have additions, carports, things like that. But there's eight or nine of them, and that is actually the town of Lake Buena Vista. Interesting story. When I was wow. when I was a cast member and I worked in the IT department, I actually wor worked with the mayor of Lake Buena Vista. He was elected mayor, and he's been elected mayor every whatever the elections are run every year because it's him and his seven neighbors. <laughs> These yeah. are not homes that were sold. These are homes that are owned by Disney, and what they are is they're people who have to be on site. They have to be on call and be on Disney property all the time. So they're the people who are allowed to live in these homes. There's also a um, a, a reason for it politically. In order for it to be a town, it has to have actual residents. Because Disney owns the town. It doesn't have any permanent residents, so that's why they actually made this little town of Lake Buena Vista. When so Walt originally built Walt Disney World or conceived of Walt Disney World, he thought there was going to be residents of Walt Disney World. And what happened was they realized that if the residents of Walt Disney World were actually homeowners and landovers, landowners, they would have a right to vote. Yeah, And they would have a say in how Walt Disney World was developed, and that was quickly abandoned. Yeah. They didn't want outside forces i can't blame them for that right but this was sort of one of the prototypes of that this was going to be that kind of hmm which kind of surprises me because they're talking about these this thing on the west side this expansion where they're going to put private homes and things like that how they're going to get around this they're they're taking and taking them out of the reedy creek area so you're not actually going to be on it, walt disney world no, property they're, then they're giving it back to orange county is what's going to happen. That's how they're going to get around then, not having actual yeah, residents. Right. That's how that's happening. 
So you're not actually going to be living on Disney any longer. No, they're oh. unincorporating it from the uh, Reedy Creek. So that's kind of interesting to see. And again, as you just stated, if people act stupid, that's going to go away. You're not yeah. going to be able to see it. But it's the kind of thing, it's you know, two minutes and you're done. Yeah. But right. it's kind of interesting to see. There is also another very interesting area of, of Disney that, um, again, I found as a cast member. I had to do some work back there. As you're exiting the Magic Kingdom, as you're coming out of that parking area, if you come from the Magic Kingdom resorts, there's that sort of merge where the um, gas station is. The car care center. The car care center. But before that, where the... Actually, you can't get there from the parking lot. The parking lot takes you out after After that. After that. You have to come around in front of the kennel and then around in front of the Polynesian and out by the Grand Floridian and come around that way. Right. Right. Before the actual merge, across from the the Richard Petty driving experience right. course. There's a, a sort of nondescript road. If you take a, a right back there, you're on, again, you're on sort of on stage, backstage area. I think it's Bear, Bear Run Road. Well, it's not Bear Run Road yet. Oh. You make that right, and then what you're looking for is when you get back there, you're going to see some, uh, you'll see some arboretums. You'll see Disney growing their trees and stuff to be planted in other areas. You'll see some backstage buildings. Nothing will stand out to you. There'll be a road to the left called Bear Run Road. Look for a trailer that's been converted into someone's home. And the only thing that really stands out about it is amongst sort of industrial buildings, this looks like someone could live there. It's not fancy. It's not big. It also has a mailbox, which is one of the ways that it sort of stands out. I'll tell you the story behind the mailbox a little bit later. This was the building that Walt and Lillian stayed in when he was purchasing the land. They purchased the land around the Magic Kingdom first. He went out there. They stayed in that building, and then that's when they started purchasing the rest of the I land. I completely forgot about this that, story. That's a great story, yeah, isn't it? This is a great story. I went in there to do some IT work. The guy told me the story. Fascinating. They said it's part of Disney history, so they've decided to leave this trailer, and he happened to, his job was out of that trailer. They went into the archives, and they found pictures, and there's pictures of Walt and Lillian sitting on the steps of this uh, trailer home, and one of the things they wanted to do was leave the mailbox to sort of be like this was Walt's home, and he got his mail there, and wow. that sort of history of it. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of ingrained in the Walt Disney World lore of. Well, I have a story about Walt visiting this area, but it doesn't. It's not really something you can see any longer. Um, back when Walt was putting the property together, there wasn't Orlando International Airport. No. The only airport was what we now call the Executive Airport, which is adjacent to downtown Orlando. And I worked with a gentleman named Ralph. I and also get... about 30 seconds from where we're sitting right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I used to work with a gentleman named Ralph. I won't give his last name, but we were good friends. And Ralph is a native of Orlando. And his family lived here long before he was even born. And he and his father both worked at this airport. And it was a very common sight to see Walt's plane come in. And he would go to work with his dad all the time. And he remembers, and now Ralph is older than I am, he remembers Walt Disney getting off the plane and bringing him a set of Mickey Mouse ears from Disneyland. And handing them to him as he got off the plane. And as a kid, that meant nothing to him. But oh, now yeah, that but he's an adult, it's, you know. But Walt Disney actually used to fly in and out of Orlando Executive Airport, which at that time was called McCoy Field. And that was the airport that they used. Tell them about the little bit of trivia you have about the 
stall port. As you're driving and if you go through the um, the parking kiosk for, if, the Magic uh, for the Magic Kingdom, you can either go sort of veer to the left and go into the parking area or you can go straight ahead and go towards the Contemporary and Wilderness Lodge. As you get to the area where you would turn left to go in front of the uh, kennel area, going like to the Polynesian, off to the right, there's a thing called Stalport, S-T-O-L-P-O-R-T, and that stands for short takeoff or landing, and that's the runway that Walt used to land his plane on coming into this area. I was going to ask you about wow. that, yeah. They use it now for um, sort of staging buses. Staging for, for the, uh, do you want to tell the story? No. <laughs> oh. oh, my. <laughs> You're talking over me and telling the same story. Sorry. They use it for staging the buses for things like Night of Joy and things like that. Hmm. Wow. Grad night buses and stuff right. like that. I didn't know any of these things. No, not, you know, <laughs> I didn't know a lot of them either. That's great. I have another area that's uh, kind of... Area 51, and it's the Shades of Green. It's the uh, Armed Forces Recreation Center that's located on... Uh, resort. Resort. Uh, Disney sold the property to the government to to build a... Uh, well, so, uh, isn't it a lease? Yeah, that's right. You're, you're right. They leased the property uh, to uh, the U.S. government, and for... Uh, soldiers to to use the property and it, it used to be the disney oh, what is that? i'm sorry okay the bad thing is is he has this right in front of him no none of this, <laughs> none of this information is on here that i'm, I'm talking about it used, now. Oh, okay. it used to be the disney, like, inn. disney of inn. Okay. when it first started it was the gulf resort the disney gulf resort was the name of it and then in the 80s it was known as the disney inn and now it's Shades of Green. And military personnel can stay there, and you're charged based on your um, grade. You're In, inversely towards your rank. So the higher up you are, the more you pay. Right. The, the lower your rank, lower the your less, rank, you, less pay. you pay. Huh. And it's a nice way for people who are in the military, active or retired, can, can go there the, and be nice. Even the Corps of Engineers, because I have an uncle who's a member or you know, works for him, and he stays there. And I think it's a, it's a terrific thing for Disney to be able to, or the Army or the Armed Services to offer this to our military personnel. The only bad part is, is because it is an armed services facility, you just can't go there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can go there and now walk around that resort like you can the Polynesian. Yeah, security there is a little bit tighter. Yeah, it is a little yeah. tighter. It's like a military they base. Have, yep. They have a, at least a 95% occupancy rate almost every day of the, the year. The rates that people can get there are fantastic. And there's 586 rooms. Now that they've expanded, they added two new wings. Uh, I stayed there uh, when my son Matt was in the Coast Guard, and they have some of the largest room. Well, they are the largest rooms on property. Oh, they're huge, the rooms, and they're massive. They, they, just under, they just underwent a, um, a rehab not too long ago, a couple of years ago, and the property looks really great. Yeah, there's two restaurants on property. Well, before you go into the restaurants, I want to just finish what my point was: was because you can't just get there as a guest. I think it's one of those things that drives people crazy. Like, why can't we just go and look around and poke around? So it sort of has a mystique about it. See, but you but you can go to those restaurants, right? And yes. that's what we we're saying. That's our trick for actually getting into there is you can go to the restaurant. There's two restaurants. I apologize. I can only think of the name of one of them. The one, there's an Italian restaurant named Maggiano's, which we've eaten at. 
a couple of times and you can't make the reservation through Disney dining. You actually have to call shades of green and make the reservation through the army or the military. You can make a reservation. You need to show photo ID and their where Disney is kind of lax in you showing their photo ID. You just kind of have to flash it to them. This is actually checking in. You have to check in. Every car has to have somebody with photo ID in it kind of thing. It's a little stronger check-in process. And you are allowed to have dinner in the restaurant. I will do a restaurant review of Maggiano's in the future. Do you know the name of the other restaurant? Yes, I do. It's the uh, Garden Gallery restaurant that uh, has the buffet every night. It is. And they they do a breakfast buffet also. And uh, I'm actually going to be going to do that uh, next week. The other thing is the buffet changes from day to day. I know that's weird. That's, I don't mean they change the food. They change right. the serving. They change the um, the type of food served. So it's not the same. And each day has a theme. Like, like Monday, Monday might that be That is so much better than they what I They change the food each day. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Unlike the actual army where they probably don't change the food. Every it's like day. a cruise. Huh? I believe Sunday and Wednesday they have prime rib. Right. Friday they have a seafood buffet. And Saturday is, I think, steak or something like that. And I want to just go back to what Kevin said and reiterate. This is not... Don't do this willy-nilly. Don't do this silly type of thing because you really are dealing with the Army. I mean, we tried to get – we had actual dinner reservations and trying to get in and what are you here for and let me check your name and let me write down your – your license plate and all that stuff. So it's there were actually two cars of us, two or three cars of us, and I jokingly said to the man, "Oh, I'm just everybody with behind me is with me," and I kind of got this look that said, "I don't care. I'm going to check them too. Just calm down." Right. Yeah. And I realized that this wasn't just a Disney cast yeah. that I was joking with. Right. I was dealing with the U.S. military. Exactly. The man who could pull you out of your car at gunpoint. Right. <laughs> so it's not, I just, I, I don't want people to be afraid of this, but it's not the, it's not. Treat it like a military base. Right. You're, don't you're treat it like any military Disney base. resort. And it's a beautiful resort. You it drive is. up to a gorgeous entryway with a waterfall and, it, and it, stonework. Right. And they, they actually, the waterfall, they have all the, different uh, segments of the military, uh, the Army, Navy, they have all their flags in it, like a circle. Uh, Air Force so and each, Marines. Everybody's represented on that, Yeah, like you said. And the other thing is this, this area also has two championship golf courses, the Magnolia course and the um, – the Bob the Bob Golf Course. No, well, there's two championship courses and then an executive nine hole course. So you're looking at like 47 holes of golf over in that area. And uh, okay, so two eighteen and eighteen, eighteen and nine is 18 what? Eighteen and nine is thirty. Forty five. Eighteen and thirty six and forty five is correct. <laughs> It's like 37. <laughs> it's just two numbers and... away. Well, there's, no, there's two 19 holes. Well, welcome to Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? <laughs> there's 40, 45 holes plus the two, the two uh, 19 said there's holes. Two, there's two regulations. So how many holes are in 18 each? Holes. 18 holes. 18 and 18 yeah, well, is 36 and 9. Yeah. 36, 36 and 9 is and 45. Nine is 45 plus the 19th hole is 46. So glad and that you started out saying 37. forty-seven anyway. You were, you added come on, you added eighteen, eighteen, and nine. It came up with forty-seven. I did. That. <laughs> I screwed up really bad. I have it on tape. Okay. <laughs> the other thing on the on this resort is it's almost like a mini wilderness lodge. It's and a beautiful with resort. The, with the firework and uh, the fire 
place, uh, stone brick there, and just the way they, they lay out the land and everything. And also a few years ago, they were very nice. They were very hospitable to, to us on the Diz and invited us over, and we had taken some pictures and mm-hmm. right. uh, taken a look at the property. Um, we last updated our information, so... There's another place, just un- it's not quite so hidden, and it, I'm sure the people who golf know about it. But I apologize, I don't know the name of the golf course. I don't golf, I don't even bob golf. Uh, it's the <laughs> golf course out near uh, Fort Wilderness. There's a restaurant in there that you can go to called the Sand Trap. I've not been, but I have friends who have been, and they tell me it's a great place to go and have lunch, and it's beautifully landscaped and things like that, and that's open to the public. So if you're looking to see a part of Walt Disney World that you haven't really seen a lot of, it's a great way to see something you really didn't see before. something different. Yep. Something different. I have one more thing to tell you. When we took a tour, now this is not really a place that you can go walk around, but when you're on Test Track the next time, it's a backstage area that you might not know about. As you come out of the building, if you look down to your left, there's a parking lot, and there's something unusual about the parking lot. Oh, that's right. It's all brand new GM cars. They're all brand new. It's not an employee parking lot. It's a parking lot of all GM cars that are being shown in the test track building. You'll see one of every model down there. So it's something kind of cool to that look is at. Cool. Now, the interesting thing is you're going 65 or 75 right. miles an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. And one of the things, the reasons why they did that is Test Track is actually in the backstage area. It comes out to the backstage area. Right. And they don't really want you looking around. So they're trying to get something that draws your attention down right. so you don't start looking around and seeing things that might not be on stage pretty. So that's it. I think we've racked our brains and come up with all of the kind of weird backstage areas that you might run into. Some, some real great stuff. I, I learned some stuff I didn't know. Good. So oh, that was that was excellent. Well, thank you very much, guys. All right, we're going to uh, move on, and Kevin Close is going to give us his review of the new Tuto Italia restaurant in Epcot that replaces Alfredo's. And uh, very interested to hear how this restaurant fares. Alfredo's was not one of my favorite places when it was open, and I'm really hoping they've taken a step up here. So what did you think of it? In a nutshell, it was a very mixed experience. We had the very, very good and the not so good. Nothing horrible, but not so good. We had no trouble getting a reservation for this restaurant. We had a lunch reservation on a Friday afternoon at 2.30, which was very nice. It's a big meal that you're probably going to eat, and it was nice to have it earlier in the day. The They seem to have taken out some of the tables. I remember Alfredo's was never one of my favorites, and after the bad experience that I had there... I had never been back. I remember it being very, very crowded. But I was also yeah. there during the holiday season. Yeah. This seemed much more spread out, much more spacious, and much more luxurious. I don't remember Alfredo's being what I considered to be luxurious. This was spread out nicely. I felt like we were we had a lot of we there was a lot of room around our table, so it was really nice. Uh the restaurant is completely handicapped accessible, which is something to be said. I find this restaurant to be outrageously expensive. Really? Yeah. I thought the same thing. Um, I'm going to start with what we ordered. We went in and sat down. Now, first of all, I sh- I, actually, before I tell you what we ordered, we ordered a la carte. You can order a family table, the Abendanza lunch menu, mm. where it's $39 a person. You get an appetizer, two entrees, and a dessert. And But that... You're limited as to what you can order. There's two appetizers, an antipasto or a salad. There's 
five entrees or six entrees, excuse me, and one dessert. We decided not to do that. That $39 lunch goes to $59 at dinner. So I I have the lunch menu, but we I just want you to know that we did not try that. We started out with an appetizer. We when we walked in, I saw these people have this platter of food and I asked our uh, server what they were eating and she explained to us that this was the antipat antipasto misto. It's a $24 appetizer mm. and it says on the menu that it serves 2 to 4. Well, there were 4 of us and 3 of us are big eaters. This was enough for four people it was a lot of food for 24 dollars, and i think at six dollars a person that's a much more reasonable it's a reasonable thing i actually thought this was as far as disney goes i thought this was a good deal everything was fresh everything was delicious as far as i was concerned there was a nice assortment there was um prosciutto and mozzarella and olives there was cauliflower sauteed in it was still had a uh, it was still al dente, so it had a nice snap to it, but it had been sautéed in tomato sauce. There was an herbed goat cheese on there. A real nice assortment of stuff. One of the people in our party, my mom, didn't really like anything on there. Again, she has dietary restrictions, and she ordered uh, the fresh mozzarella and tomato salad. It was a very nice salad. It was $12. I don't know why this is always so expensive in restaurants, but this is not, in my opinion, for the serving that she got, this was not an outrageous price. It's commensurate with other restaurants you would go to. That always seems to be a higher-priced appetizer. As far as the appetizers go, they were both home runs. Uh, we asked to try a sample of the only soup they sell, which is pasta fagiole. That's my favorite Italian soup. This one, we asked for a sample because um, to see what the spice level was. This one seemed to have no spice. It was a little bland. So we really? passed on that. It was That's $8 a bowl. Uh, they brought us out a little ramekin of just for us to try, and everybody got to try a sample of it. The low spice level turned out to be... After the appetizer, turned out to be a constant thing. I want to go back to the soup a second. The soup was actually orange. A pasta fazool? That yeah. was orange and thick. Oh, I've never seen a thick one. It was no. almost like a stew. Like it was, a chowder. It was yeah. very weird. And it, there was you could see that there had been tomato sauce and cream put in it, it seemed. It was a thick orange chowder. In a pasta fazool? Yeah, it was. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> this weird. Is, this is why we didn't order it. Okay. Um, very strange. That is very strange. Water. Everybody ordered water at the table. I ordered a Diet Coke. Uh, Diet Cokes are three dollars. <sighs> you like? You really are in Italy, then. <laughs> <laughs> a fresh lemonade Refill- was. Four- is that refillable? Yes. Oh. A fresh lemonade was four fifty. A coffee is two ninety five. That's absurd. An espresso is three fifty. The tr- the beverages were pricey. Uh, I thought they were high. On to what we ordered. Nobody ordered a salad. And then we ordered our entrees. John ordered the lasagna at $19. Mm. I ordered something called bucatini pasta, which was Italian prosciutto ham, peas, and a Parmesan cream sauce. And my mom ordered the... It was the chicken cutlet Milanese. Now, it's described as with baby arugula salad and heirloom tomatoes. And she asked if it was if she could substitute that salad for a side of pasta. They were very accommodating. Now, we did have a problem. There was a, a, a bit of a language barrier. The folks that work there are all from Italy. And after John and I were in Italy last year, 
This was a very authentic experience. Water was brought to the table with no ice in it at first. We asked for ice. They brought bread to the table, and it was just bread. There was no butter and no oil. So we asked for oil. That's When we were in Italy, that's what they did. You were given bread, mm-hmm. and you were given water. No one came around and refilled our water glasses. And we were there on a day that was it was kind of warm outside. So we are big drinkers. A lot of water, a lot of diet soda. You had to ask for refills on your drinks. And when we asked for more water... The server actually said, how many do you want? Okay, did you say, we're not really in Italy? Can I have some more water, please? (laughs) You do realize this is Florida. (laughs) Um, John's lasagna, how would you describe it? It was like a a bowl of paste is basically what it was. No, really? It was flavorless and textureless and just kind of sitting there. And it was not, it was tiny, in my opinion. I always love his comparisons. (laughs) (laughs) It was not... It was not a $19 lasagna. First of all, I don't believe there is a $19 lasagna. I was just no. going to say, yeah, $19 lasagna is pushing it. And it's got to be a spectacular lasagna to warrant that. has got to dance to the table for 19 This bucks. was not at all $19 worth of lasagna. And it was kind of, the texture was very bland. So was it basically just cheese and pasta? There it, was some meat in it. There uh, was a meat sauce, and it was as you cut into it, it was layered very nice. But it all just kind of melted together and was just... Yeah, I like to see the layers. Yeah, it was, and it didn't have any fl- much flavor as far as I was concerned. There was, we don't use a lot of salt in our family. We're all trying to cut the salt out, and the salt shaker went around the table a couple times. <laughs> it was, you couldn't seem to get enough spice into what you were eating. Uh, my dad and I both ordered the bucatini pasta, and it was a complete surprise. There's a... a a very well-known restaurant here in Orlando that serves bucatini. And I had never had that anyplace else, so that's all I really had to compare it to. This was not like what I had was used to at all. This was a thick pasta. Now, in my opinion, bucatini looks like a straw. It's a hollow pasta. And this wasn't. This was just, it was more like a fettuccine noodle. And it came swimming in a ricotta cream sauce. It was very, very, very wet. It was... Very saucy. I mean, it wasn't, in my opinion, it could have done with a third of the amount of sauce. Mm. And it was, again, it was a milky white cream sauce with ricotta cheese in it. Now, ricotta cheese doesn't offer a lot of flavor unto itself. And there was a little bit of pancetta in there. Pancetta offers a great deal of flavor, but you need more of it. There wasn't a lot in this. I ended up salting it. The other thing we asked for was we asked for a side of marinara. I ended up adding marinara to mine to try and give it some some body and some flavor. It, I would not order this particular dish again. I don't think John would order his lasagna again. Especially when you're trying to make it better at the table. Right. When you're trying to add to the, the, <laughs> the cooking feature. Uh, at this point, we asked for some more bread. The first bread they brought out was this very rustic um, bread with a dark, dark crust. And we asked for that in the bre- in the bread basket. There was a smaller Italian bread, and when we asked the server for more bread, she brought out an entirely different kind of bread. She brought out San Francisco sourdough bread, which came as a surprise to me because that was not in the original bread basket. So we had to call her back over, and we tried to explain to her there was a lot of hand gestures that we were looking for the smaller Italian bread, and she said, "Do you mean the salami bread?" And we all just sat there with this sort of 
dumb look on our face and I thought okay whatever you want to call it and I was making the little hand gesture and she explained that there were little bits of salami baked into the bread and we all looked at each other and thought oh, I didn't get a piece of that so she brought <laughs> us out another whole basket of this salami bread it was good mm. it was very good that got eaten pretty quickly on to what my mom ordered my mom ordered the chicken cutlet Milanese again she asked for the side of pasta she said to the waitress um is it chicken parm? And the waitress looked aghast. And she said, oh, no, we would never put cheese on this. And I thought, okay, well, fine, don't. They brought her out a dinner plate, actually. There's a picture of it. There's pictures of all of the things that we've just talked about. It was a chicken breast that was still very, very thick, and it covered the entire dinner plate. It was huge. It came as a huge surprise. What they explained to us was that the salad comes on top of the chicken. Mm-hmm. And, again, that's very authentic as far as what we found in Italy. They don't do chicken parm in Italy. The chicken is very separate from the cheese. Uh, This was a hit. The chicken was tender and juicy and moist, and it had they had seared it in a frying pan, so it had like a nice crust on it. I love so, that. Yeah, it was very good. It looked really good. And now she got pasta on the side, and the pasta was spaghetti with marinara sauce, so there was nothing remarkable about it, in my opinion. If I was going back to Tutto Italia, I would order this entree as is. I thought the salad on top of it with like a light vinaigrette would have been a nice compliment to this chicken breast. This entree was $24. Wow. So it's not cheap. No, it's not cheap at all, and it's Italian food. Looks like the biggest chicken in the world. <laughs> it's 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 pretty big. It was shocking. It's a very big out. cutlet. Yeah. This was very hit or miss. There were parts of it that were real high points. The appetizer was a high point. The bread that they brought out after sort of us goading them into bringing more was another high point. So there were some good things about it. Left On, off one thing. What. We ordered a side dish. Oh, yeah. They have a, a side dish every day, so you never know what it is. It's $8 a serving. This serving is big enough, literally, for four people. It would even stretch to six people if you were really using it as a, a side dish. The day we were there, it was carrots um, in butter and ground walnuts with garlic. And these were another hit. We uh, They came out very, very, very... Uh, crisp they were they they were not cooked soft at all and we asked them to take them back and microwave them a little bit they came out the second time and they were a little softer and much more edible and as far as everybody at the table was concerned they were underdone the first time they were done perfectly the second time this was eight dollars this is a bargain as far as i'm concerned now i don't know what the next day would bring if you ever you're there and the carrots are there get them they're delicious and we like we used the carrots and the marinara sauce on his mother's chicken (laughs) and we made our own dishes (laughs) it was really good the chicken went all around the table the chicken literally served four people yeah i was about to say i thought your mom was a small eater and that piece of chicken was not you should have seen the look on her face when they set this thing down it was it was huge (sighs) on to dessert the dessert um has been discussed at length on the dis boards and the dessert if this restaurant is expensive, the dessert is ridiculously expensive. The dessert ranges in price from $9 for a Zupa Anglaise, which is a truffle cake, trifle cake with candied fruit, vanilla ice cream, and meringue, to $16 for a... I've lost it. Hang on. I'm sorry. $14 for the Copetta Sadabasco, which is berries, zabayon cream, gelato, and chocolate sauce. $14? $14. In the middle are the cannoli. You get two cannoli. There's a picture of this. Uh, a 
Let me go back a second. On the appetizer picture, there's a set of serving utensils. Those are full-size serving utensils. Those are bigger than, like, they're not dinner forks and dinner spoons. These are what you would call, like, salad fork. Mm -hmm. It's a big piece of silverware. The picture that has the cannoli... I put a teaspoon. This is an average dinner teaspoon. This is what you would get with your coffee. I put that on the plate so you could judge the size of the cannoli because it's kind of hard to figure out how big it is when all you see is the plate. There's nothing to compare it to. That's an average size dinner spoon. You get two of them, and the price is $12. Mm. Now, there's a little slice of candied orange at the end of them, and the shell was crisp, and the filling was flavorful. However, you can go in any bakery anywhere and get a cannoli for 90 cents. Yeah. Cannolis are not the most difficult thing to make, and they're not the most expensive thing to buy. For $12, you should easily be able to get a dozen or more cannoli. (laughs) It it was good. It is nowhere near worth $12. The other uh, dessert we ordered was the cinnamon ricotta cheesecake with pine nuts, grappa raisins, and apricot sauce. It was $9. Three of us took a bite of it, and the faces that were made could pretty much tell you that this is awful my dad however thought it was the best thing he ever had well apparently he liked the grappa because that's probably what made it awful um, <laughs> this was just raised and soaked in grappa it was it was cheesecake with cinnamon in it it was an mm. unusual i mean you know what cheesecake tastes yeah. like to get it that, was like having a cinnabon cheesecake or yeah, something it, it, it was it was an odd taste to finish this all up uh lunch for the two of us before the disney dining experience was 180 dollars Wow. That's with as what everything I just told you. And there's pictures of it all up there. This is four entrees, two appetizers, and two desserts. And Did you say one, that was with the Disney Dining no, Experience? Without. No, without. Without, okay. And then with the Disney Dining Experience, I think it was 146 That's still mm-hmm. for lunch. very steep for lunch. And I, I said this when we reviewed Nine Dragons. Italian food... I mean, I can understand paying $40 or $30 for an entree when you're getting a steak or you're getting a fish that's expensive. We're talking noodles. Yeah, it's hard to charge that for pasta. That you have to season yourself. Right. So parts of it were a real hit, but parts of it were a bit of a miss. Um, Service, our our server, she was wonderful. However, again, in true Italian fashion... I don't want to have to ask you to refill the water. And I understand that in Italy it's a custom that you don't refill it and you don't put ice in it. And I understand that they might be going for an authentic experience. But people in Florida in a 90-degree day are going to expect you to fill their water glass. Yeah. I shouldn't have to ask. Now, let me ask you. The, um, you talk about the, uh, the food being bland, that not a lot of spices, not a lot of uh, flavor. In the food, do you think they're dumbing down the menu, so to speak, in order to appeal to a wider group of people at Epcot? I don't really know. What, I don't know. This might just be the chef that's working this. There were a great many people. Um, one of our friends referred to them as the suits. There were a great many people walking around, making sure that everything was running smoothly. Now we were there at the very early stages of Tutto Italia, so I get the feeling that they're working towards uh, making sure that everybody's having a good experience. Mm-hmm. And I think what's ha- they might have dumbed it down a little bit. The, some of the things seemed very authentic. The appetizer seemed very authentic. It's when we were in Italy, prosciutto and mozzarella and those olives—they were just everywhere. After that, it seemed like they had gone... The entrees were much more Americanized. 
mm-hmm. that they had tried to make them more palatable to the American taste. And I found them to be just bland to the point of, as I, Corey said, we were cooking at the table. We were trying to figure out what we had on our table that we could put things with a little more flavor in it. That chicken that was ordered was delicious, but it was just chicken. However, the butter with the walnuts on it from the carrots got smeared all over the top of it, and it was delicious that way. So we were kind of creating our own entree mm. at the table. See, but that's, that says a lot about the, uh, about the taste of it then. If you, if you have to experiment like that at a, and pay that much money for it. This was by no means. I we recently reviewed uh, the Yachtsman Steakhouse, and that, in my opinion, that was pretty much a seamless. My meal was a seamless experience, from start to finish. Everything was tasty. Everything was wonderful. I didn't even use salt or pepper at the Yachtsman Steakhouse. The same was true at Porto Bello Yacht Club. It came to the table, and you didn't have to ask for Parmesan cheese. Now that's another thing. Parmesan cheese in an Italian restaurant should be left at your table. I should not have to hunt you down every time I want a teaspoon of Parmesan cheese. Right. It's like the guy with the giant pepper mill. Just leave it there. I promise I won't take it. I did have to, I finally had to get someone to leave the Parmesan cheese on the table and we used oh, the four of us used the whole bowl. So that should also tell you. We were mm-hmm. just trying to add flavor to something that could it was sorely lacking. Now, this, this restaurant's only temporary, correct? It is. It's an interim restaurant, and then the Patina Group is going to open up another restaurant next year. Uh, Tutto Italia, in my understanding, means everything Italian. They seemed very, very interested to make sure that everybody was having a good experience. And again, all of the people seemed very authentically Italian, and there was a lot of service. There was a lot of people around. So I think they're going to be working out the bugs. However, at $180... There should be no bugs. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, if I'm in previews, I should be paying preview prices. This was a full priced experience. That I think there still are a couple bugs to be worked out. So, I, I would suggest that you go with if you wanted to upgrade your experience. I would make sure that you ordered correctly. Order what you think you're going to like, but I would definitely get the $24 appetizer, especially if you're going to split it with other people. That is a cost-cutting thing. It's a great appetizer for 6 bucks a person if you order it for 4 Now, what about children uh, items? I do have a children's menu, and the children's menu is very, very limited. Uh, there's three appetizers, seasonal fruit cocktail, pasta and bean soup, and mozzarella sticks. Other than mozzarella sticks, I can't see kids ordering any of it. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a pizzetta, a panino sandwich, spaghetti, and penne, and then there's a uh, there's five desserts. So I'm, yeah, there's five four desserts. I'm sorry. So I, there is a children's menu. It's 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 a nice experience. I would go back. I would just be much more cautious in what I ordered. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Appreciate the review. And uh, you've also gotten uh, gotten yourself into uh, uh, doing a favor for one of our one of our listeners. We got an interesting email. Uh, last week. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? We recently discussed, actually, I think John announced that there was going to be the Morning Star breakfast at the Grand Floridian, which is having breakfast with Thomas Kincaid, and you're the first to, by attending this breakfast, you're allowed to purchase the new a copy of the new painting he's done for Disney World, which mirrors the cop, the painting he did for Disneyland. And Julie snorted and laughed and told us how much she loves Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> And Don't we, hit him, Julie. 
we got a very nice email uh, from a gentleman named Travis and his family who lives in California. And Travis asked if any of the podcast members would be willing to attend this breakfast. He and his family have the California version of the painting, and they would like to have the Disney World version of the painting. And I agreed to um, be Thomas's stand-in. I'm oh, sorry, not Thomas's. Um, <laughs> Travis's. Excuse me, Travis. Travis's mule. I'm going to, <laughs> Travis and his family have paid for me to attend the Thomas Kincaid breakfast. He actually wanted Julie to go, mm. but Julie never answered the email, so I assume she didn't want to go. <laughs> so I agree to do it. Travis and his family have paid for my registration, and I'm going to go pick up their um, lithographs as a uh, just something to do for one of our listeners. He asked, and I said yes. And It'd be all, a nice experience, too, I think. I, and that's it, exactly. Um, I don't have the dislike of Thomas Kincaid that Julie has. I actually have no feeling about Thomas Kincaid. Do we have to keep saying that I don't like him? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like Toby Keith, either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have respect for him. Please do not send me any hate mail. <laughs> so I will have a report after um, the podcast after October 20th, but I will be at the Thomas Kincaid breakfast. So if any of our other listeners are there... Watch for me. Well, if any of our other listeners would like me to, uh, like, you know, experience a chef's table at Victorian Albert's Fourth, <laughs> I'm more than happy to do that as well. Uh, Julie, did you get hate mail on the? Uh, no, I, there Kincaid was a post. No, not about Thomas Kincaid, but there was a post on the boards about Toby Keith. I asked why would he be so huge on the Oklahoma um, b- billboard, you know, in the, that area of the Food and Wine Festival, and she told me that he's a very big contributor to the state to the schools they have there and um, does all sorts of that's things. Cool. So I was like, that's cool. Have respect for him. A good reason. Just don't listen to his songs. I just like getting <laughs> Julie in trouble. <laughs> that's okay. Well, I, mean, that's, I think that's very cool that you're... Uh, you're I thought it would that. be a cool experience. And he seen... I talked to Travis on the phone yesterday and we've worked out all the details. So... Travis, hello. Hello to your family. I'll be going. Can we can review a breakfast? I'm going to do a review of the breakfast at the Grand Fleury, the $150 breakfast. So you can review the powdered eggs and the cold Um, potatoes. So I'll be taking pictures, so I'm sure I'll have a picture of Thomas Kincaid for the website. Ooh, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and that'll do it for us this week, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will be back with you again next Tuesday with another edition of the Diz Unplug Roundtable. You have a great week. 